Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Delson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, managing director of Moneta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers, Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant, John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. We do this every Tuesday and Thursday, 5.30 Eastern time. We do a special Sunday edition at 5.30 also. Kind of like football. We just keep coming up with new with new days to have it on. Good to have you all with us on this Sunday, beginning of August. We got a lot to talk about. We are joined by Pete Nigerian sitting in for his brother, John. Pete, good to have you with us. I've got Mark Lepresti, Alex Massioli, as usual. Nick from Nick Mancini from the Trade to Chain Research Desk going to give us some great insights on all things crypto. So let's kind of dive right in. We've got um, we've got a big show ahead of us, and uh, I want to do a shout out, if you will, Mark, to Accelerate Tax. They they you know they I, this, that company fascinates me. Tell everybody a little about them. Yeah, of course, Rob, and a great Sunday to everybody. Thank you all for being with us, as we always love. You share a little bit of your Sunday evening, hopefully poolside, beachside, with a margarita, a pina colada, your summer drink of choice, looking at a sunset, perhaps. Um, Jersey Shore, Hamptons, West Coast, wherever you may be, thank you for joining us. And yes, Rob, today's Sunday episode, August 6th episode, is sponsored by the good folks over at Accelerate Tax. Accelerate Tax is a company that helps qualifying businesses apply for, and if they qualify, receive... Uh, money under the ERC, Employee Retention Credit Program. This is a government-funded program that was created under the CARES Act, designed to help small to medium-sized businesses recover from the terrible impact of the COVID pandemic. This is open to companies employing up to 500 people. They need to be W-2 employees, independent contractors, and the like do not qualify. But many businesses do qualify to find out more Go to AccelerateTax.com, www.AccelerateTax.com. I see the link. Put up in the crow's nest by producer Patrick. Qualifying businesses can receive up to $26,000 per employee. And with interest rates, credit contraction, and all the stuff we're going to be talking about weighing heavily on small business these days, it is money that I am sure lots of these companies can use. So go to AccelerateTax.com and learn more. 
Awesome. And if you're if you're listening, please take a second, follow us at Get Rev Radio, follow all of our speakers, share the space if you like it. Pete Nigerian, good to have you with us. I want to ask you about the week that was and what you saw. You know, in our last Twitter space, Lepresti pointed out that the the stock traders almanac, which we didn't even know existed, says the first week of August is always historically bad. Now I don't know if that means anything, but the equity benchmarks weren't weren't so weren't so happy this week. What did you see and what do you think? Well, they weren't so happy, and there was a lot of different variety of reasons why. And I think the biggest one is something that, uh, you know, John and I have talked about this for a long time with each other and 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 vocally outside. But you look at the two-year and the 10-year, and, and I can tell you that that 4% has been a mark that is sort of a line in the sand. And when the 10-year gets above that 4% level, it's been a trigger for the markets to to basically turn and start to fall somewhat. Now, they fought against it a little bit this week on certain days, but overall, during the week, we were seeing markets get a little bit of pressure to the downside, and that, I think, was a, one of the big reasons for it. When you look over at the 10-year, you see it over 4%. It actually was moving even higher. It was almost 4.2% on Friday. And you start looking and, and, and you look at the, the two-year, it didn't get over five, but it got pretty daggone close. And I think those triggers had people a little bit spooked. And on top of that, you look at the earnings and the biggest and the baddest of them all, Apple, I think was something that, you know, we were all waiting to see what could Apple do. Now, let's not forget, Apple has made an unbelievable run for the size of the company, for the market cap that it's got. And we talk about, you know, the whatever you want to call it, the six or whatever, but there are so many more stocks that I've been pushing back against that narrative for a long time. But that being said, when you do look at Apple, you look at the year-to-date performance, you look at the performance that it's had as they were getting closer and closer to earnings, the stock just not too terribly long ago was just underneath 200. So it's made a magnificent run. It had pulled back a little bit off of those highs. And all you've got to do, or I shouldn't say all you've got to do, but what you better do is not disappoint. Well, they disappointed. You know, the iPhone sales were something that missed the forecast. That was sort of a big deal. Revenues for the third time and again um, on in a quarter down. And you look at that and you start getting pretty, you know, you're, you, it's not a perfect quarter. And basically because of the step back that this, the stock was, is or was trading at 30 times, I think is another part of the piece of this puzzle of it's made this great run but it's got to live up to it and it didn't live up to it. And so we did see that selling in line for wearables. But I think the big thing that on a positive that I would still look at was their services, which beat and they had great growth. They did everything, you know, all time highs. That side of things was, was good, but let's be honest, the iPhone still is 50%. So that is a very meaningful thing when you're looking at Apple. On the other hand, the flip side of that, what did Amazon do wrong? Absolutely nothing, which is why they continued to extend, continued to make a move to the upside that was outstanding. Their operating expenses were cooling off. They, they did a great job. Their revenue was strong. AWS beat and exceeded the expectations. And that is the big boy. Let's be honest. I always say this about Amazon. It's funny because everybody still loves to just talk about the e-commerce side. And that is a big deal. But it really is about the cloud. It's why that can trade at a different PE level, I think, in my opinion, at least, versus Apple and Microsoft and some of those other names because of the fact that it's the cloud. That is the driver, I think, for Amazon. So it made a re- really nice move on Friday, Thursday night. They came out with these big numbers, and it's been pretty incredible. So I think from the macro standpoint, we did have, obviously, the negativity of l- looking at that tenure, and it still does remain above four, at least for now. We'll see how things open up on Monday and how we proceed the rest of the week. But 
you know, it it certainly was, I think, the weight around the, the neck of the market for sure. And the markets fought through it pretty good, but it's still a very, very difficult, uh, difficult, I think, for the markets to sustain any kind of a, a, a move to the upside with that that tenure trading at 4%. Hey, Pete, we talked um, last week. I, I, you said the six. I don't know what they call it, right? I've heard it the Magnificent Seven, if that's what you're referring to, the tech companies. But <laughs> yeah. we're talking about whether they can sustain this. And last, and we're going to talk a little bit again about this this so-called credit event later in the show. And one of the comments I think your brother made was that tech stocks are likely to to suffer from this. Are you are you do you think that there's sort of only so long these big tech stocks can just keep showing such remarkable, you know, growth in the, in their share price? Yes, and, and and the reason I say that, and I think John would probably agree, was you know when you, when you look at the tech names, they they've had this fantastic run. Can you do it forever? No, but can you do it for an extended period of time? Absolutely, and I think we've reached some of that extended period of time. Now, when I say that, I'm not in the camp of oh, I think Apple's going to 120. That not at all. That's that's not where I am, and I don't think John is either. But I think when you look at those the run that we've had from all of those names and the driver, and that was what carried the markets to the upside. But there are others that can take the torch, I think. And, and you know, we're, we're looking at energy. And, I, you know, I, I continue to harp on this, and I will continue to harp on this. When you take 2 million barrels out, which we did by July 1st, uh, you're going to see the, that price start to move up. That's exactly what we've seen. We went from 68 to 82 in a very, very rapid period of time. Now, it wasn't a straight line. We went up, we pulled back, we went up, we pulled back. And it was very healthy, I think, to the upside. I think energy, I think materials, um, I think potentially even financials will be part of what could be a nice run for the second half. It doesn't mean that technology is going to suffer. I just don't know that technology needs to be the leader still. And with that pass of the torch, I think that could be pretty interesting to see because a nice broader market rally certainly does sound a little bit better, at least to me. Than, than talking about the Magnificent Seven or whatever, whatever you want. And by the way, I, I, there are so many other names, guys, that have hit 52-week highs that have had a magnificent runs since the beginning of the year. They get dismissed because their market cap isn't as high. That's ridiculous. You look at Caterpillar, just pull one right out right there. I mean, that run has been absolutely spectacular as well. So even though I realize I totally understand it, let's be honest, that when you look at that magnificent seven, sure, it's been an absolutely incredible run to the upside, but there are many other names that are also supportive of the move to the upside as well. But those names, because of the market cap, because of obviously a lot of the attention that they're getting, Tesla and Apple and Amazon and Google and go through that whole list, NVIDIA, um, it makes sense. And if you still are involved in AI and you still have maybe a little bit more room, uh, it doesn't mean these names have to go down. It just might mean that they're a little bit slower going up. Interesting stuff. Hey, Marco Presto, you want to weigh in on that as, as you start to talk about the week ahead? Yeah. It's an interesting conversation in sectors you think, and Alex, you can after two, and I want to exclude you from it, you, you know, um, but, but uh, you know, you've had companies you think. It's such an interesting point Pete's making about, you know, and again, we do focus. Mark, you should come up with a better name than the Magnificent Seven. Let's go oh. with our own and make it. Yeah, I, I thought that I could even take credit for that, Rob. Um, that, that's, you know, th that's been one of those things for a while. No, I know. Uh, I'm saying let's just come up with a name. Yeah, no. I, that's a movie. <laughs> Nobody can be the Magnificent Seven. I'll, I will put that on my homework assignment list. So look, but, you know, Pete's absolutely <laughs> right. I mean, you know, additional market breadth is a good thing we actually you know our loyal listeners will remember maybe two weeks ago 
We did a special segment on understanding market breadth and correlation to market performance, um, where it's actually somewhat counterintuitive that there have been periods of concentration, weak market breadth that have actually been correlated to very good periods of performance in the stock market. I, I tend to think it's problematic. It's what leads to things like the rebalancing of the NAS that we had the week before last. Um, and look, I think the only thing that worries me a little bit is if we start to see or people think that we're starting to see risk-off environments, rotation out of tech and into you know names that are considered to be less risky, that tends to be something people do if they think inflation will, be pers will persist, right? So the Fed's going to look at that as being negative. If we get that, you know, we covered on Thursday, um, and I, I love Thursday's show, by the way, and I, it was it was super in the weeds, by the way, Pete, when it comes to we did the, the yen carry trade and yield curve inversion, <laughs> and it was like, you know, credit and bond markets, you know, AP class, um, but but so so important, and we we're going to continue with some of it on today's show because I do lean very strongly, as you said a minute ago. It is the overhang. It is the headwind. It is the it is the yin to the market rally yang that we've had going through July that's ended abruptly in these first few trading days of August, as the market often does in the first nine days, as per the Trader's Almanac. So we will see. So let's oh back to the trader. It's all about the Trader's me, Almanac. Me, you know that. Me, do you do you follow the Trader's Almanac? Listen, it's one of those things that I do. I do. It's it's a data point. Absolutely. The data points, these are all data points. So let's, Rob, let's get into the week ahead because we're going to cover some of these topics um, in in the uh, in the main uh, uh, segments uh, before we get into the crypto. So, you know, we've got, we're continuing with the earnings season. Of course, we've got some really interesting companies reporting. Disney, Alibaba, uh, Eli Lilly, UPS. Of course, we look at UPS and other shipping names as an indication of how you know industrial and consumer are doing. Uh, Honda, of course, as it relates to the to the motor industry. We've got Manheim, one of my favorite. Everybody knows I love that Manheim used car index. That's one of the less appreciated gauges of inflation and part of that core CPI. It's one of those like secret little uh, advance. Uh, uh, advanced pieces of information on a major print. We've got the CPI coming out and the Mannheim before the CPI, as usual. So as the Mannheim goes, so goes the CPI. I'm looking forward to that. We've got PPI, of course, on Friday. I'm also going to be watching carefully, Rob, that uh, New York Fed releases its quarterly household debt and credit reports. That's coming out on Wednesday, and that's going to track and does track how American households are faring financially, this, of course, for the second quarter. I'm going to say it was shitty to quite shitty is how they fared when you've got a trillion dollars in credit card debt. You've got the average. What was the quote we had from last Tuesday? 40% of American adults in this country between the ages of 35 and 50 or something had less than $1,000 in savings in the bank. Really, really scary stuff. No more room left on those credit cards. Banks getting more and more prepared reserves for anticipated additional charge-offs charge -offs at very significant rates. It's being anticipated. None of that good. Uh, so we're going to be watching that Fed U.S. National Debt and Credit Report issuance on Wednesday. We've also got uh, on Friday the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index and uh, a GDP report coming out of the U.K. So just to go through the calendar, real quick stuff I'm looking at. Um, Earnings-wise, Monday, I'm going to be looking very carefully at Palantir. 
Lucid to see how they're faring in their fight for the EV, uh, uh, you know, EV dominance uh, Paramount as part of the streaming wars and how companies may finally be starting to see the impact of that writer's strike, which we covered. Uh, UPS on Tuesday, um, the Barracle, Take-Two, Interactive, Rivian, another big TV maker. Uh, let's see, Wednesday I've got Disney, Roblox. Uh, two of the top ones are on my list. Uh, Thursday I've got Alibaba, uh, Brookfield. But again, as we as we continue to look to see if there's any indication of that looming CRE crisis, that second potential shooting drop in the ongoing saga of the American banking system here in 2023. Thursday, of course, we've got CPI. Friday, we'll have PPI, that MSCI from Michigan, as we, as we mentioned. And that wraps up what will be another fairly busy summer of earnings. Summer of George is over, but summer of earnings continues next week. The, the summer the summer of George is over. Um, before I get to Alex and the crypto, he loves it when I, when I do this. Um, Pete, real quickly, our audience is always listening. We're not giving them advice, but but you know, investment advice, but insight. When you when you hear Mark talk about the 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 study that forty percent of Americans got a thousand dollars in the bank and that's it. When you look at the market, when you hear news like that, what is it you look to do or look to go? Here's where I'm gonna. This is what might happen because of this. So this is why I'm putting my spotlight or making a shift in my strategy. Event. No, it's a really great question. And and my answer would be, you know, we've been struggling with this for longer than a lot of people have recognized. And I know that Mark has pointed this out in the past. I've pointed this out as well. But I've been talking about credit card debt for a long time. And it's the combination of credit card and, and obviously student loans and then throw in some of the, you know, the issues with housing and everything else. It is an amazing thing. I mean, I, I think the last time I looked, Mark, it was something north of maybe 17 trillion. So we're talking about huge numbers here. And, and, and because of that, it is something that I always have in the back of my hand. It's probably why even more so than ever, when I look at the derivatives markets, the option markets, I am seeing very, very short term trades and they truly are trades, not investments. And I think that's because there is a nervousness out there. I'm not, I know the VIX is not expressing that right now. It will, at some point, in my opinion, we will likely see a pretty decent spike at some point. I don't know when, but at some point, because it's, you know, we will reach a, a point in time where that's going to be meaningful enough that there's going to be a pay the piper sort of a moment. And I think that that's something that, you know, we all have should have to and should keep in the back of our mind for sure. Because as we navigate these markets, as long as you're very short term, you're kind of at least giving yourself almost a hedge by not going longer term. By going longer term, you are going into the position of putting yourself that you are exposed something six months, eight months out into the future. That's a lot different than what we've seen mostly, which in the derivatives markets has been one week out, two weeks out, maybe. I mean, even right now, this past week, when I look at everything that was trading, we barely are getting out of August. If we get out of August, that's considered a long-term trade from my perspective. We see a September or an October, or maybe even a November option trading. That's, that is just amazing relative to one week out, two week out options. So I think that's one of the reasons why we are seeing that kind of activity. And we've been seeing that for a while. And, and I think it's because we have not reached that point yet where everybody is fully focused on the fact that that the credit card levels have gotten there. But we will see more and more of that, by the way, with the price of fuel going higher and higher and higher. Keep an eye. I think we are, I think just last week we hit nine months highs for gasoline at the pump. 
that's gonna yeah. affect me. you know and, and, and Rob Great I, I know we gotta we gotta switch to Alex and I know he loves when I do this for Alex you know Alex we just keep going we're gonna get to Alex in a second and Alex you get to weigh in on all this stuff before the crypto 90, but yeah go ahead 90 seconds to how you tie it all together I, I know the market's excited I'm excited about Jay Powell finishing you know his insane and unprecedented pace of rate hikes I know that everybody's looking forward to that last 25 basis points that's still coming. I think it comes in October, not September. But even if the Fed starts cutting, they won't start cutting this year. Even if the Fed starts cutting at the end of Q1 2024, as I'm expecting them to, we're still going to be at these elevated rates. They're not going to slash 100 basis points. They're probably going to incrementally cut back on the way down. So we're going to be sticking in, you know, these, you know, high fours numbers for a while. And that translates not only for the American consumer, but we talked about this as it relates to the United States government adding another trillion dollars of interest payments when we covered that new bond issuance that we talked about on that Thursday credit special. None of that is good for anybody, for, for, for consumers or for the government. And there's no magic bullet for that, right? Anybody that racked up a lot of uh, uh, charges on a credit card and then realized that they were just paying off interest for months before even eating into a, a tiny bit of the principal knows what I'm talking about. And that th those chickens have got to come home to roost. And I think, Pete, what we heard in terms of forward guidance from the travel sector, finally, from the travel sector, I was a year late when I thought that was going to, or a year early when I thought that was going to happen. But we had consistently crappy forward-looking guidance from Norwegian, from the airlines, from Airbnb, from uh, Expedia, Booking.com, etc. Because the summer of George has finally come to an end, and that is the canary in the consumer coal mine. You in the summer of George. Everybody, this is Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Share the space. Follow all of our speakers or our hosts. Uh, and, and please out the space if you like. Uh, like what you're hearing, we do it every Tuesday, Thursday with a special weekend Sunday edition. And as Mark said, hopefully you're doing it by a pool or a barbecue or an ocean or something like that. Alex Massioli, obviously weigh in on, on the on the TradFi talk here, but then excited to hear if, 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 if are we still in the crypto doldrums? Well, listen, let me tell you, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be on. And I can listen for hours with Mark and Pete. So, uh, you know, no rush to get to me by any means. Um, you know, which means you're having more. a couple extra margaritas by a beach somewhere. You may have taken an extra sip or two of scotch next to the pool this evening before I had to talk, but, um, uh, no, the, the, the reality is, uh, Mark and Pete are, are dropping some knowledge bombs. Um, you know, Mark mentioned the Mannheim index, uh, he's spoken about the used car market a lot in the past. Uh, it, it is also important as one of the collective indicators you need to use to kind of grasp where the economy is going. And if any of you have ever been to the Mannheim Auto Auction in Pennsylvania, it is a fantastic treat. If you have a friend who's an auto dealer, tag along because uh, I always love going. 
couple of important things that you know that that Mark rattled off as far as uh, earnings are concerned. Walt Disney Company really always interested in what DIS has to uh, you know say as far as how much money they made in entertainment creation. Um, we've spoken about this in the past as well, and studios and possible uh, roll-ups within that streaming space, so to speak. Um, so looking uh, looking for their earnings and to see how they're doing. Um, also, big one is uh, Brookfield Corporation, the end. Uh, Brookfield Properties, part of that commercial real estate that Mark hit on earlier. Uh, you know, as we come out of this COVID crisis, it, it, looking at commercial real estate and how many people are going back to work, and I just saw a thing today come across the wire that Zoom is requiring all employees to go back to the office now, which is ironic, right? Because we all Zoomed uh, for, for the better part of three years almost. Um, looking to see how the market recovers on that. Places like Midtown Manhattan, I have no hope anymore for San Francisco, but the other core and second tier cities looking at the uh, real estate markets. Um, and then, of course, we look at CPI, Trade the Chain, uh, very intently looking for volatility in the marketplace and, or lack of, depending on, but it's usually volatility, depending on how those numbers come out. So, um, you know, they're, they're spitting out golden gems, Rob. I'll always listen to them before I listen to my own mouth speak. So, uh, crypto overview, listen, total market cap, $1.16 trillion. It's pretty much on par. We, we discussed this exactly one Sunday ago. Volume is paltry at 19.7 billion. Bitcoin 29,131. It's exactly even. I, I'd love to excite you guys, but I'm not giving good phone today. Trading volume 6.9 billion, down nearly 50%. Bitcoin tweet volume down nearly 25%. Sentiment on tradechain.com dashboards for is bearish neutral on Bitcoin at 41 out of 100. Ethereum doing much of the same. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to rattle off all those statistics because they exactly mirror Bitcoin. But what I will say is that uh, trading volume is 2.8 billion down as well, nearly 50% on Ethereum. A very slow Sunday. We're starting to see some volume uh, come in as we go into the uh, Monday Asia hours, which are going to be happening shortly. Um, here, here's one. I got a shocker of an outlier for, uh, for everybody in the last 24 hours. And this is, uh, this is a cautionary tale and it's Mithril ticker M I T H Mithril is up a 51%, uh, uh, and 885% increase on trading volume. And I, you know, I said, oh, why is that happening? Well, it's news off of the Cardano's uh, Mithril mainnet beta launch, which is finalized. But the thing is, folks, and why this is important to your own research at all time, is Mithril, the one that says ticker M-I-T-H, is a dead project from years past. I remember when it launched. I was I was an investor in it um, back in 2017. It has nothing to do with Cardano ecosystem or the Mithril uh, mainnet. So please, uh, up 51%, but not on any tangible news. Stay safe out there. Hey, um, good, good stuff, Alex. Nick Mancini. Um, from the research desk, I like it. It's like from the research desk at Trade the Chain. Nick, Bitcoin twenty nine point one. For those of you who don't listen all the time, Nick, Nick's like an astrologist. You know, he sits in there and charts the the course of Bitcoin up down. He's got his eye. You open. you know that we keep happen. Nick we keep Nick in a room with no windows, right? <laughs> right, right. Seriously, because because he's literally got a map in his head going on. Add AI to that. I don't know what happens. But Nick, what what does it mean? Twenty nine point one was is not where you wanted it to be, but you're going to make the best of that. 
Yeah, appreciate you having me, Rob. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm pulling up the blinds a little bit, just poking my eyes out finally after the last couple of hours. But uh, uh, the, 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 let's keep it simple this week. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a repeat of last week because I'm not a big fan of, of how equities look to start the week either. But the two core numbers, or actually three core numbers, we have the recent high at 30K. We have that significant number at 29.5K that we've been talking about for weeks. And then we have the low of last week around 28.5K. Currently, we are in shorts from 29.2K, targeting 28.5K with stops at 29.4K. And that is the general outlook because typically Mondays over the past several weeks and months have been bearish. And the Monday range is typically critical and it recently has been reaching out to either the highs or the lows. Our bias is still a bit bearish due to the lack of volatility, lack of volume, general overhang and series of bad news that we ended last week with, especially with equities really falling from their recent highs as well. So it is our belief that it really we're setting up for at least a short term bearish move early in the week. And uh, that's what we're looking for Monday heading into Tuesday. Um, and of course, like I said, we're, we're wrong above 29.4. Uh, and if we do break up above that, then we, we could actually see expansion towards that 30K number. Those highs and the lows are very important to start the week uh, each week, especially with big news like CPI on the horizon, Rob. And Nick, quickly, what what what's the move you would make? And this is not, again, I want to be clear, we are not telling people to do this, but what what do you do based on that tomorrow? So so currently we we're in shorts from 29.2k and we're targeting uh 28.5k. It's about a two and a half percent move, all said and done. Um, but uh, you know, and like I said, I want to be transparent that we have the the, the stops in place at 29.4. We want to cap our risk. We do know that things can get out of hand on the right news wire. Maybe equities open extremely strong, and that's not something we expect. So um, you know, that's the trade we are looking for. And typically that is because on Monday you see expansion to significant high or low price points depending on the bias of the market uh, and, and our bias tomorrow is uh, is bearish awesome thanks man and we're going to talk about whether there's going to be a run on binance coming up uh, a little bit later in the show in, in like 15 minutes mark lepresti we have talked about the the recession the non-recession the recession we're in the recession we might be in the hard landing the soft landing obviously the, the the Biden administration, Janet Yellen, everyone connected to the current administration is going to tell us that, that there is no recession coming and we're and we're not in one. What do you see? What does it mean? And does it does the market even care what they say, to be honest? I mean, does the market pay attention to what they say? Are they like, you're going to just say what you got to say? We're actually looking at what we think, given the real question is, what do you think? Well, you know, the, the market does care what they say. Um, this is the question of how they react. Right. Uh, I think a lot I think a lot of smart traders and smart money knows that if there's anybody in the talking head world that talks their book, nobody does it better than the Fed. Um, I, mean, I wonder if we still have Pete. It looks like Pete may have had to go on to yet another. I think we lost Pete. So it's going to be it's going to be you and it's going to be you, Mark. Yeah, no, uh, and, and Nick, of course. Nick Nick does more tradfi. Nick does more tradfi than people give him any remote credit for. I got to tell you, he's really damn good at it. But you know, look. No, uh, by the way, Nick is great. We love you, Nick, and your your analysis and your delivery, all of it. You know, you're a super asset to the show, Lead Green Nation. You know. 
Nick, Nick is, there's no doubt about it. So look, you know, when, when Yellen and anybody in the Biden administration talks about soft landing, no recession, et cetera, et cetera, they're talking their book, right? There's absolutely no, there's no question about it. I think most traders and most market watchers know that. We do look to, however, um, when there's indications of, you know, the Fed speak, as it's called, that has an indication of policy. That's why we, you know, we have those, you know, hawkish and dovish uh, uh, adjectives that we use to describe a Fed speak. And what I wanted to kind of talk about in, in this segment is, you know, while I'm one of the last people on the planet that puts much credit in what they say, um, there is, and we try to share and, you know, sort of be fair and balanced to, to steal temporary. And I didn't come and call a, a, a tagline from a uh, a network that I think we all know about. Um, hang on one second. <laughs> Just letting the person know that uh, don't call me again because I'm on a show. I'm doing a show because it interrupts Twitter spaces as we know. So we like to try to be fair and balanced and uh, we like to try to give both sides of the story. And I did come across some of the data that I wanted to share. You know, I'm a data dog. I'm a data nerd. I want to share some of this data with the me 3 audience that maybe, just maybe, they're right and that we have a soft landing or maybe no recession. I'm of the belief that based on historical and traditional definitions, we've been in a recession for a while now. That's, of course, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. We had that a long time ago, a year ago, we crossed that threshold. But what I'm talking about is how the economy has expanded and contracted in the wake of inflationary and rate hike cycles since, and yeah, we're going to go back, not quite to when the dinosaurs died and the earth cooled, but all the way back to World War II. And frankly speaking, to summarize this, Rob, the data that I looked at over the weekend, and yes, I have a life. I was on the beach and at the pool and doing fun stuff with family and friends as well. But I'm reading this stuff instead of a Grisham novel, not that there's anything wrong with John Grisham. But I was looking at National Bureau of Economic Research data to see if I could detect a pattern of cyclicality market reaction and the periods of time, the duration of these recessionary and inflationary periods. And the bottom line is, starting in around the 80s and continuing today, economic expansions have lasted longer. Recessions and bear markets have been largely event-driven and been shorter. And in the t previous times that the Fed uh, engaged in significant tightening campaigns like the one they're on now, and of course, we all know that this is an unprecedented speed and rate with which, because it's not just by how much the Fed increases or decreases rates, it's how quickly they do one or the other. But the last two significant tightening campaigns in the 80s and the 90s did not trigger significant downturn in the equity markets. And so there's, and I could go on and and get really, you really nerd out on this, as, as my daughter might say, but... The other thing that's different and different uh, actually for the benefit, and I know J-Pod doesn't like this, but it's actually good from a recession gauge perspective, is the labor market. So the labor market current was not in the 80s and the 90s and those last two tightening periods that I'm referring to here in this data that I was looking at was nowhere near as tight as the labor market is today. And, you know, that could be something... It's that X factor, if you will, that could indicate to the Fed, if j is paying attention and using data that's remotely current, that maybe he's gone a little bit too far in raising rates. And of course, 
What does that mean? I still think we got that extra 25 basis points coming our way to the upside, but maybe he cuts a little more quickly. Maybe he starts cutting a little sooner. Maybe we see cuts mid first quarter and not beginning of second quarter, as I've suggested. And maybe we see 50 basis point cuts versus a quarter. I think all of those things would be good and could if the Fed starts to get smarter about monetary policy based on this kind of data, like the one that I said I was looking at over the weekend, maybe we got a fighting chance for a soft landing. And I hope that's the case. Hey, you know, Mark, you hoping you hoping that the Fed looks at the right data is kind of like hoping that Congress balances the budget, <laughs> just saying. But I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Was it Tom Lee or John Rutledge who had that idea that it was, I don't know how he put it, it was like, not only are we not heading to a recession, we're going the other way. Well, um, you know, I think it could have gone from either one, come from either one of them, both brilliant special guests and supporters of the show, of course. I mean, you know, Tom has kind of looked at, and I spoke to him the other day, I'm not on a, on a news desk, but just as as, uh, as a couple of buddies driving their girlfriends crazy, talking about nothing but, you know, the market and cars, um, two of my favorite subjects. But, but you know, he continues to see ongoing green shoots He's maintaining, you know, that increased uh, level where he believes the S&P is going to end the year. I don't remember exactly what it is, so I'm not going to cite it and get it wrong. Um, but that could have come from from either one of those two people. And, and, and again, look, I'm rooting for the American economy. I'm rooting for small business. I'm rooting for people to keep their jobs. I'm rooting for credit markets to get back to normalization. I'm rooting for the venture capital world to function and create support and thrive innovation in this country so we do not continue to lose critical technology development to countries that don't like us very much. And all of that will get better if the Fed gets smarter about monetary policy. And hopefully the Fed can look at those same, you know, boring documents that I spent the weekend looking at from the National Bureau of Economic Research and says, wait a minute, maybe there's some precedent here. There is a way to do this and avoid recession. Hey, Alex, do you think we're heading for a soft landing? And everybody who doesn't know, Alex comes out of a trap by, um, you know, hedge funds at, 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 Go at Goldman Sachs on the first crypto hedge funds. So you've got an insight in both worlds. I mean, what's your take on what Mark just said? No, Alex. Sorry, I was having audio issues, guys. I apologize. I'm going to let Nick run with this while I try to fix it. Yeah, no worry there. <clears throat> um, I it, it I go back and forth on this because, on the one hand, inflation has dropped quite significantly. Uh, we we do know those last few points are going to be the hardest, and of course, you know, Mark cited you know potential increased energy, um, or in, in energy being a, a greater influence on inflation due to some some recent rising prices, and of course, all the inflation data that we look at is about thirty days. Old, so um, you know there's always something new that could crop up in the next print. Um, you know that we're obviously looking at now. So um, when you look at unemployment, it's it's still quite low. I think we have a three and a half percent unemployment rate. 
inflation, you know, PCE is around three, core is obviously around four, um, and and GDP growth is is, is still expanding. If 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 I uh, am not incorrect there, so I do think a soft landing is possible, um, but you you know you never really know what's going to crop up over the next several months, and we still have. Uh, Biden still needs to fill the SPR. We have, uh, you know, low reserves on 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 uh, ammunition and military equipment. So there's something that could always crop up that may affect things. But I think our chances of a soft landing uh, have grown higher in, in in the past, you know, call it couple quarters. It, okay, and and so Mark, kind of segueing from that, you know, it, it's it, the you talk about the Fed perhaps looking at the right data, as you you would put it. But let's talk about this credit event. I love that word, credit event. It's like a climate event. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a credit event. But that would be, that would suggest credit markets are pushing to, in, in a bad way that, that inflation could start going up, which would obviously make the Fed not do what you're hoping. Well, well that's right, Robin. You know, look, there are, of course, two sides to every coin. And what we try to do here Bundles, Bears, and Blockchain is make our listeners fully informed. Can we, and do we tell them where we're leaning for sure? But of course, this is not financial advice. The point of this is to educate you, is to give you, our loyal listeners, the same data, the same insights that we use, myself, Pete, John, Alex, the market masters, as we trade our own portfolios. Um, and, and, And by the way, none of us... Run hedge funds. There's no security being offered or sold here. You can't send us money to invest with us. We're not running a wealth management platform. This is pure education because we love what we do. We love the markets and we love using data to try to figure them out. So we just went through that fantastic research that I did over the weekend from the beach chair, giving us reason to perhaps have optimism around avoiding a recession, a soft landing and the like, we're going to have a little bit of the other side of the coin, right? And the continuation of our coverage of the credit markets, which I think is so critically important, always important, Robert, but it's particularly important right now. And there's reasons for that. The ridiculous inversion of the yield curve, where the 10-year is, and things that Pete and I were just talking about, what we talked about with Thomas Say on Thursday, 48 basis point rise in 48 hours in the 10-year, which is remarkable and almost unprecedented. Well, Another piece of rain on the market's parade, a little bit of headwind for the bulls, is in the corporate credit world, right? So on Friday, we got some reports from J.P. Morgan Chase and Company talking about how major banks are getting ready to get back less from major corporations in terms of their corporate debt recoveries than has expected, and I'm talking like a 25-year low in that regard. So, Wait, wait, Mark, let me interrupt you for a second. I want everyone to understand. You're saying investors are going to get way less back when these companies default? Yes, I'm saying that the the banks that issue these loans are going to get way less when these companies default. So those riskier credits, those, you know, certainly like those junk bond rated type stuff, the average junk bonds return so far this year is like around a 6%. Investment greed, of course, is in the toilet at 2.4, but that's what happens when you've got an interest environment like this. But when you get into really low-rated stuff, right, the absolute bottom tier of corporate debt that trades in the high-yield markets in that sort of 10% range, 
that kind of paper is expected to have default rates that we really have not seen before. What does all of that mean, right? And people may say, well, I don't trade junk bonds and I don't trade, you know, this kind of stuff. Well, it all adds to a continuation of, by the way, producer Patrick, I popped a chart up that if you have time, you can toss it up in the crow's nest there that I sent you on our documents. Um, Risky credit crushes safer debt is the title. Um, all of this lends and and is a, a, a part of, Rob, additional headwinds to equities, contraction of credit, limitation of availability of credit for corporate, bo corporate uh, uh, borrowers, not good on the other side of the coin. If we want recovery, if we want soft landing, if we want no recession, companies have to be able to borrow at efficient and effective rates. And I don't see that being the case for a while. And Mark, if that's true, same kind of question I asked Pete earlier, not advice, investment advice, but strategic advice. What do you do with that knowledge in terms of how, what you do or don't do, or what you look at for, you may not be in junk bonds, but what you go, this is what I would or wouldn't now do, or what I'm looking at based on that. I'm Rob, who was that to? You think that was to Alex? Oh, that was Craig? to you. I was asking. Oh, no, I was asking you, but I, I love Nick's and Alex's thoughts, too. But I was asking yeah, I, you, like, I, I what love, strategically. I would love to get another, you know, some say, Pete. Is... All right. All right. Alex or Nick, jump in. Either one of you, whoever wants to answer that. I'll be 100 percent honest. This is not my specialty. I'm I'm not confident enough to uh, to speak at uh, Mark's level or, or John's level on that topic. All right. Well, then we'll just move right on then. So, Mark, last wrap up on this is. Um, so, you know, which of these two sides are you, you're looking at both sides. Like when do you, when do you think you get an answer onto which side's winning? Yeah. Well, Rob, I'll tell you what, the longer, and, and if we have time, um, cause I know we've got some crypto stuff to cover. Uh, we, we're going to talk, I think about the, the yield curve inversion. And it, it, I was actually going to skip over that. Yeah. But you want to do it quick. Cause we, cause we want, by the way, everybody, we have a small cap spotlight at the end of the show. And Mark's going to share a company uh, that we follow, the, 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 that he's invested in, and we kind of promote where they're at. It's a really cool segment. Um, we do it only on Sundays right now, and we're looking forward to that. So if you want to just do like 60 seconds on the yield curve, then I want to I want to have time. Yeah, of course. Well, well I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll do a twofer. I'll do, the, I'll do the yield curve in the conjunction with the answer that you just asked for. And the, the answer is... Until I start to see more normalized behavior from the treasury markets, where we do not have this absolutely ridiculous yield curve, um, and right in the yield curve is is that chart that plots interest rates of bonds that have equal credit quality but different maturity, and we often talk about that. John and I were talking about that, and and the slope of the yield curve and the normalization of the yield curve is considered by many, myself included, to be a very a very strong and powerful indicator of where we are in that that cycle of you know, rate increases, recession, soft landing, all of those things. The yield curve remains dramatically inverted, dramatically inverted. Um, and that corresponds every time, and we've got another chart if we have time to pin it up there, Every single time, it corresponds to recession. It corresponds to ongoing inflationary pressure. It corresponds to, you know, pretty pretty crappy things when it comes to the economy 
and equities in general. So I'm watching that yield curve carefully. I'm watching the credit markets carefully. We're watching treasuries carefully for all of these reasons, because until I see some normalization, I'm concerned that we're either going to see the, the markets continue to trade in sort of this wonky range, right, with that downside pressure and the bulls unable to regain that July control, or perhaps even start to get bearish. Well, there we go. Normalization. Now, Mark's, Mark's rooting for normalization and for the Fed to do the right thing. We will see. Alex Mazzioli, um, let's talk a little about crypto. Binance, the rumor is that there could be a run on Binance if, if, if the SEC, you know, charges them with fraud. So, one, where is that coming from? And, two, do they even pay attention? Do they even care what the investors of the market will do? Is that even a consideration for them? Oh, man, what great questions, right? Here we have uh, the reports coming out saying that um, the, the, the government is basically worried about a run on an exchange if they prosecute. Well, here's a couple of things. One, they missed the big one at DX, all right? If they had provided any clarity in borrow when during uh, within the crypto credit markets, maybe we could have missed a few of these bankruptcies. Um, all they've done during their uh, enforcement reign, let's call it for the last 16 to 18 months, is actually hurt investors. Uh, the impact to investors from a dollar, a dollar amount has been far greater than whatever the heck they've been trying to do. Um, and we've mentioned this, we've discussed this with Mark, uh, the ambiguous, uh, you know, Wells notices that go out and subpoenas. Uh, they, what exactly, they need to f define exactly what they're going for, is state the problem as if the violation, as if they know about it already, then maybe act on it. What their what their fears are is that they're going to make another mistake, which is hurt the everyday investors with ambiguous uh, accusations. I'm not saying Binance has not done any wrongdoing, um, and and I don't know if they have, but they're, they've been the target of a lot of fud, fear, uncertainty, doubt uh, in the last eight months. While there's a bunch of speculation. So if I believe that if this is truly coming from the DOJ and there's, you know, all the articles are saying they're saying it, if it's truly coming from the DOJ, I don't know if it's more of them caring or more of them trying not to do another massive misstep because CZ is very important in this market. Down Barbados with a lot of the players here, CZ is a, a regular attendee uh, in, in this uh, gathering. And if he goes, the crypto market's going to hurt. So I don't know if it's a DOJ trying to save face or the DOJ getting a, uh, getting uh, feelings, but I don't think it's feelings. Alex, it's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like we're worried you're going to screw over the investor, so we're going to do this, and then the investor gets screwed over. I mean, it's not quite that simple, but that's what it almost feels like. Listen, there was an article that came out um, where Ben Armstrong um, – uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Brian, Brian, um, we're all Armstrong. Brian, what's an Armstrong among you. friends? It's okay. <laughs> Thank you, Mark, for saving the day. Where Brian Armstrong came out and said, "Listen, we were the recipient of various uh, conversations and uh, possible ass that could have brought down the crypto market." I, I probably would side with him on that, and I think that went into. 
what the DOJ is thinking about Binance. Um, there's a lot of money, not not to the global market, but there's a lot of money within the everyday investor that could be eviscerated if they make a wrong move. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think uh, the U.S. Uh, regulators need to really start defining, and I think clarity before enforcement by regulation is needed now. Nick, what happens if there's a run on finance? You know, Ali, I mean, is is, uh, is this like a kind of a cataclysmic event? Is this is this a yeah, that's actually a really good question because there's a lot of interesting psychology, especially when you're talking because crypto is, you know, kind of this 24-7 Forex market. So if something happens with Binance, then then are people, you know, selling into stable coins to withdraw um, or are they buying crypto to to do an, uh, an on-network withdrawal? So um, th there's actually a lot of different possibilities in, in which people would, quote unquote, initiate or enact their their run. But actually what, what we've seen is you know after kind of the dust settles i i will tell you what if finance gets a doj charge it's certainly gonna you know drop the markets a couple percentage points but if it becomes an issue of people getting their money off then people may end up buying something such as bitcoin and mass on the exchange uh to to do an on-network withdrawal to to deal less with you know potential issues of finance having insolvency so um that's certainly a possibility but i, I don't think it's going it, w it would not be a good thing in any way shape or form but there are certain ways to 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 trade that short term but immediate reaction would be quite negative then maybe we see some some large cap buying um but if it becomes clear that there are issues with people getting their money off the exchange that's only going to continue to exacerbate i think selling in the market until it uh, the market becomes aware of how how bad or or good um you know the problems are hey Alex, what i will say oh, go ahead. Uh, what i no no what i, I want to just tie up uh Nick's comment is um, one of the things I'm really worried about if that were to happen and Binance was to have a run is similar to what we saw on Black Thursday back in March of 2020 with the crypto markets. And that was more or less a run the crypto markets. I believe that we're a third of the size that we were that are two, two, two and a half times uh, you know, the size back then. But I'm worried about the contagion with the with the credit markets that are left within crypto, because if we start, if, if there's a run, a lot of assets start getting devalued at a rapid, heavy rate and they plow through margin call uh, floors, uh, we could see a lot of evisceration and no money left to buy other assets as well. Well, and that's really I mean, that's scary, obviously. So I think the question is. Well, how likely? And I know you can't know the answer, but where is the idea that there would be a run on Binance if the Fed brings these charges? And they seem like they're likely to. I mean, is that just speculation, or is there a basis for that? We've no. I think there's a basis for what the DOJ wants to do. Uh, you know, particularly with the uh, the parent company of Binance um, and some of the rumors that we've heard. Uh, with Binance US, and we all we've all seen the crypto space CZ uh, create the number four as FUD. You know that's his way of saying FUD. But you know there's a lot of disenchanted people in this space, and a lot of people we believed in, you know, a year ago that failed us. So you know, they're going to speculate. Well, why wouldn't CZ fail us? Um, you know the the thing is is that Binance has been through runs before. They went through a major run and uh, with a lot of fud that went around the industry after the FTX collapse. Um, 
he does have a you know a relief fund set up uh for bank run situations so they've survived and i'm talking about they've survived in the billions as far as bank runs, uh, bank uh bank runs are concerned so i mean i think from a mental aspect, CZ can handle it. I think uh, if it was to blow through any of those limits that he has set um, and completely, uh, you know, flatline Binance, I, I think it would be bad for the market indeed. Just to put my own tinfoil hat on, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what the Fed wants to have happen. Go after Binance, cause a run and cause a collapse in the crypto markets. I mean, it wouldn't be the craziest idea. I it, it, Binance isn't too big to fail, but uh, I think at this point, their uh, crypto is too big to to be you know squashed out quietly. I, I don't think the administ the current administration uh, has that kind of um, opsec that they want to go through, especially uh, a year and a half out from the election year and a bunch so of posers. Bunch of posers, and we're going to have these uh, Bitcoin ETFs coming online. Let's talk quickly just for like two minutes about Revolut. Is that how you say it? Revolut? It's the payments app, crypto payments app. They're they're done. They're like, we're we're over this. They're moving out of the they're they're closing their doors. Is that just in the US? It's a quick follow-on to what we were just talking about, what we've uh, commiserated about, you know, on many shows in the past. Revolut is a a a this cat this superstar of a startup. Um, I, I use Revolut. If anybody's in Europe, the chances are they use Revolut. The efficiency uh, of Revolut is awesome as a uh, prepaid card linked to your bank account and what whatnot to get throughout the world. Um, they, they opened up their crypto product and now they're withdrawing their crypto product in the US and they're doing so to, you know, just ahead of having to deal with any of the crap that's going on. So if you look at the landscape and you look at Revolut and Revolut has some growth and strategy still left in its, in, uh, in its evolution as a startup company, they just don't want to deal with it. And if that means turning off 5% of their customers and, and getting them upset, I think it's a good move for them. It's an unfortunate move for the people who use them. All right. Well, we got just a couple minutes left. Mark Lepresti, it's time, B3 Nation, for we don't have any music today, for our small cap spotlight. Um, this is a company that we want to we want to feature. You, full disclosure, you've invested in this company. It's called, I've got a plane going overhead. It's called Backtech Environmental Corp. Tell us about the company, why you're involved with it. Let's put a little spotlight on it. Yeah, well, so Rob, this is, um, we've invested uh, in the company. Um, oh, so yeah, my that's, bad. That's sure, okay. Um, th this, is a, this is a company that has uh, provided some warrants to us to help them uh, get a little bit of attention and to uh, help them with their direction of their business. This is a small cap spotlight update. So we featured this company, I think one or two Sundays ago, uh, we've been doing the small cap spotlight now for about three weeks. Um, and there was, and, and we plan to do this folks, because we want to be uh, both uh, transparent uh, as well as to provide updates on some of these companies. And this company had a little bit of a rough ride. The stock was around, uh, you know, about 0.085 when we first featured it. It's down to around, I think it closed on Friday, 0.075. That's uh, in Canadian dollars, by the way. On news of an interim decision by a court in Ecuador, and that's where they are uh, planning to commence this bio-leaching process, this very large facility down there that's going to extract gold, silver, and other precious metals from what was otherwise uh, a very environmentally unfriendly uh, uh, 
the mining operation down there. Bactech's not a miner. It's a company that extracts precious metals, gold, silver, and other precious metals in a very environmentally friendly way through this bio-leaching process. And the reality of it is that there was another mining company uh, that caused some problems, or another company that is a traditional miner that was causing some problems. The Constitutional Court voted to temporarily suspend the process of issuing licenses to companies to operate down there. And the stock responded negatively on that news. Uh, company put out a press release saying, look, you know, we, we are moving forward with the process. We believe that this temporary uh, stay will be uh, um, uh, removed as, as the uh, process of hearings goes on this week. They think in a couple of weeks, but they don't know that for sure. That's a forward-looking statement for those who know what that is. Um, but so it's a delay in the process of obtaining the authorizations that they need to get this incredible plant up and operational in Ecuador. But it is by no means um, a, but uh, by no means a, an indication that it's the the end of the line. They they're continuing with the application process, and as I said, they're expecting that that uh, temporary hold will be lifted within two weeks. So then our hope would be that that hole gets lifted and then their stock bounces back up, but it might hover a little. That, that's right. Yep. And of course, you know, look, the, the news that we shared, which I think was terrific, they got a, a, a reading from Moody's on this bond issuance that they're planning to do in support of, of starting this very environmentally friendly way of extracting precious metals, uh, gold and others, and some of the things that we need for the uh, EV economy. Um, they got a, a green bond rating. Uh, from Moody's, uh, which is not easy. It's a multi-month process, a lot of due diligence involved, where they determine whether or not a company is pursuing the appropriate principles, environmental, social, and governance principles. This project in Ecuador will create thousands of jobs, will significantly transform the economic landscape of a lot of the workers there who currently make you know numbers that are sub the poverty level here in the United States. So it's an exciting project. Uh, it's got a lot of impact and ESG components to it. We're excited for them about that green bond rating that they got. But again, we want to provide updates to the B3 Nation. If we feature a company, we're going to keep you apprised of how it's performing and let you know what we know. It's it's part of how we want to do that. That's right. The good, the bad, and the That's other. right. This has been Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Sunday edition. We do it Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday, 530 Eastern Time. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Follow all of our hosts, Alex Massioli, Mark Lepresti, Nick Mancini at the trade the trade the trade the chain research desk and uh, Pete Nigerian thanks for filling in for brother John and B3 Nation thank you all for listening we would otherwise just be talking to ourselves uh, without you guys so thanks everybody have a great kickoff to your week thanks for joining Rob Nelson Alex Massioli Mark Lapresti and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls Bears and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>